If you're a mom of young children looking for connection in motherhood with some parenting and sleep expertise sprinkled in, you are in the right place. I'm Erin, a former early childhood teacher. And I'm Andrea, a registered nurse in the NICU. We are sleep coach besties, business owners, moms, avid coffee drinkers, and your Coffee and Catnaps podcast hosts. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest in sleep research, evidence-based practices, and tips when it comes to navigating your child's sleep, all things motherhood, our favorite products and services, and live sleep coaching. So warm up your coffee, again, pop in your AirPods, strap on that baby, or put them down for their nap, and tune in. Welcome to this episode of Coffee and Catnaps. I am Andrea. And I'm Erin. And we have not gotten together in a little bit uh, to record. So what's going on with you, Erin? What's new? Well, I've missed you, number one. (laughs) (laughs) Feelings mutual. Yeah, but I've been like super busy over here, actually. My kids started school. They've been on a wait list for this particular place since like last December. And if I wanted them to go like for the following school year, they technically had to start this summer. So they started um, at the time of this recording, we are like near the end of June. So they've been going for a few weeks now and they love it. Uh, So that's kind of been like a big change around here because I mean, I had like two little pandemic babies and they mm-hmm. didn't do much outside of being away from me um, for the last, you know, two, three years. So it's been a big step for all of us, but it's been really good too. Um, obviously, like the drop-offs have been hard because, you know, it's a transition and they don't want to leave me and I don't want them to, but I also very much do. I'm sure you can relate to that. (laughs) Um, But then like, you know, I go and do my thing. They have a blast at school. And when I pick them up, grandma always says, mommy, I had such a good time at school today. So I know like that kind of helps me like in the morning when I drop them off. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. that's what I told you. I was like, it does get, it does get easier um, cause I've been doing it for well, a couple, couple years now. Matias is turning seven in July, which is so wild to me that my first baby is going to be seven years old. And I've been in this motherhood, motherhood journey for almost seven years. Um, but yeah, it does get, it does get easier. And as you kind of know too, it's kind of different with every child with Matias. He very much was like, yep. See you later. Like I'm good with Santana. He, um, definitely was a little bit more hesitant but I also think it's because uh, he was two when COVID hit so it just was it really did numbers on his confidence but what was cool about not cool about that but what's kind of neat is that the first day of school photo with Santana and then the last day of school photo you can just tell the confidence change in that small child like it is like night and day it is so cool and my sister's actually the one that pointed it out she's like look at his picture like look how confident he looks I'm like yeah so it it does get easier and my little Raf Raf I don't know he's gonna be he's gonna be a wild card I think because he's very much like a mama's boy and like a papa's boy 
but then also he's like my wild child and he's like just climbs and everything and quite he has a lot of like he, a lot of independence as well so be interesting to see what happens when I drop him off at school but we have one more year to go with go with him yeah I mean I could have waited with a bow but I was like as long as Bram's going Bo's gonna go too because mm-hmm. <laughs> Bo's mm-hmm. ready you know he has a big brother he follows him around he does everything he does like He's so much more advanced at his age now than Bram was when he was that age. And I feel like that's just kind of a second child thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. No, totally. We feel that too. But yeah, he's for sure similar to Raph in that sense where he's such a mama's boy. Like I call him my stage five clinger Mm -hmm. and, or he's fearless, like totally fearless. Yeah. So I'm like, I didn't know what to expect when we took him. And he's the one who gives us a hard time for like just a few minutes. And then he'll go and wave at the window Aww. when we're walking out. <laughs> so he's like, totally, he like screams when it's time, but then he's fine. So he's yeah. like hot and cold, but yeah. Oh, well. Oh, Ugh, so so because I've been out of like the newborn phase for a while now, I decided to recertify and like do another sleep certification and focus on newborn sleep. Cause like I said, my boys are like older now they started preschool Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to kind of brush up and learn everything I could. Um, since I've kind of been out of that space personally for a while. Um, so I ended up finishing my program last night so it's very new um not like official yet but finished the program last night and have been brushing up my newborn sleep guide just to make sure I have all the current recommendations and practices in place um, from that perspective so you and I thought that today we could kind of you know backtrack and talk about newborns a little bit and kind of get into the science behind newborn sleep and what parents can expect. Because as you and I both know, you know, there are things you can be doing from that perspective when you bring your baby home. um, But within reason to where they're at developmentally. Um, So shall we get into some of the science behind newborn sleep? Yeah, let's do it. You can and this start. is kind of like your world too, because like, you know, with your nursing, you are with these sweet little teeny tiny babies a lot, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am with the, it's, it's neat too, because I work in the NICU. So prematurity, prematurity definitely takes a toll on it, right? On sleep. And a lot of, I get that actually, that question a lot in, from like families and like what their expectations around sleep are. And the thing with that too, is you always have to go by like their corrected age. So technically these babies weren't like, aren't due yet. So their day one, quote unquote, isn't until they're technically their due date. And then a month from their due date at that point, they're like one month old, right? Like corrected. So I always like, I always let families know that because I think it's natural for moms to like look at another baby when your baby's like a month old, two months old and look at another baby and they're like, well, my baby's not doing that. Like, why are they not 
doing that. So it's kind of, it's good to, for especially premature babies or parents to kind of be aware of that expectation and like average where like their baby should be at in regards to, in regards to sleep. What were your biggest takeaways around newborn, um, like the science of newborn sleep from your course? Uh, you know, I had always like from my previous training known about, you know, newborns not having the same amount of stamina to stay awake as older babies. But in this course, I really like dove deeply into the actual research and science. And, you know, we've heard a lot about circadian rhythm and how that's not yet developed, but just kind of getting into the the other side of what drives sleep is the homeostatic processes and just learning more about that. I've just found it so interesting. Um, but knowing that that plays more of a role than circadian rhythm, especially those first few weeks, you know, your baby is coming fresh out of the womb and they are, they don't have a circadian rhythm until closer to eight to 12 weeks. Like it should be fully developed by 12 weeks and you'll start to notice it more around eight, but there are things you can be doing to kind of help establish that. But really those first few weeks, few months, everything is driven by that um, homeostatic process. And when we think of that, that's more like sleep pressure. So your baby is taking in all of this new information on this side of the womb and their brain needs a break to kind of sort through it all. So guess what that is? A lot of napping, mm -hmm. a lot of napping. And then the other thing, obviously, like I know this from experience, but um, just they really do need to feed around the clock those first few uh, months, especially because the size of their stomach is so small. So uh, really like how can we promote quality feeding patterns and quality sleep patterns, because those two things go very much hand in hand. And they're both pillars of our health and well-being as human beings. So how can we support both of those in the best way possible so that our babies, you know, aren't failing to thrive? Because if you're focusing on one and not the other, that could potentially be one of the outcomes, which we obviously want to avoid. So a lot of what um, I'm going to be putting into my second edition of my newborn sleep guide is going to go over um, a lot of that more in detail than what the first edition did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really, uh, really, really important because we all know that if baby is hungry, they probably will not sleep well um, mm -hmm. as well. So even like having, I know a lot of people ask like how, how much is like too much sleep in like the newborn the newborn phase. And when it comes to feeding, I always tell a lot of my clients that it like, you obviously want to chat with your doctor because they are following your baby's weight very, very closely in regards to how much uh, food that your child should be getting. But on average, kiddos kind of eat every two and a half to three hours in those first, in that first month or so. Um, so kind of just being like watching that. So having your baby, like sometimes you may need to wake your baby up from a little bit of a snooze to get that calorie, those calories in, um, as well, especially if you're concerned about weight gain or anything like that. Sometimes you may be even waking them up, 
um, more than that. And that's kind of a weird fine line because you hear like never wake a sleeping baby, but sometimes you actually need to wake them to have a feed um, during the day. So then that way too, when they go to bed, they're not just like wanting to eat, eat all night. Um, and that kind of brings me to uh, like the day night confusion. I, I call those babies or sleep all day, party all, party all night. Do you want to touch on, do you want to touch on that, Erin? Oh yeah. So because circadian rhythm isn't really established until that eight to 12 week range, um, a lot of babies, you know, do want to stay up and party all night and not sleep during the day. So there are a few things parents can definitely do to kind of help their child, um, get with the program for lack of a better <laughs> phrase. Um, but number one, we want to make sure that during the daytime, we are cueing your baby that, Hey, it's daytime and we're awake. And we do things during the day differently than at night when the expectation is to sleep. Right. So, um, getting your baby up around the same time every day, that's definitely one thing that I was thinking of, of this personally, like I would be so tired. And if my child was up super early, um, or he was sleeping later than, you know, quote unquote, what's ideal. Um, it was so hard for me to wake him at that same time every day, but it's so important for establishing that circadian rhythm. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's going to hurt more in the long run not to do that because you're still going to have a baby who is waking at night and blah, 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 all of that. Um, whereas if you do start to wake them at the same time every morning, that kind of, that's the starting point of helping set their rhythm, right? Like the more you do it, the more you're consistent with waking them like at seven every day. Um, even if you're dog tired, um, that's kind of going to help solidify that wake time. And then the rest of their day will kind of fall in place over the next few months. But again, that's kind of the first step in solidifying what will eventually be a schedule. Um, so waking them up right away at that same time every day and then light exposure. So we want to expose them to a natural sunlight. Um, so when you go in and do that first waking, um, if they're not already awake, you really want to go in and make a big production of it, you know, open the blinds, let the sunlight in and tell your baby, good morning, it's time to wake up and just be really alert and, you know, alive <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, just to kind of show them that these are the behaviors you'll see and experience during the daytime. And then in, um, in opposition, it's totally different at night. You know, you are going to have baby cares throughout the night because babies do need to feed around the clock. Uh, they may need diaper changes depending on what's going on with their little uh, digestive system. Um, that takes time to develop as well. So that can play a big role in their nighttime sleep or lack thereof as well. Um, so it's just really important that at nighttime, you are more calm, more quiet, the lights are dimmed. I recommend using like an amber colored light or a salt lamp, something like that, um, that 
won't actually wake you up more than necessary, uh, like a blue light would. So be mindful of that. But then when you are like interacting with your baby, it's, it's more business-like, you know, you are getting them out of their crib, you're undoing the swaddle, but you're not really engaging too much. Um, you're changing the diaper if it's needed, you're offering the feeding, you're making sure your baby's awake to get that full feeding. Um, but again, we're not trying to like over-engage and it's not playtime because we wanna send them the message that, you know, it's 2 a.m., this is a time to be sleeping, we're waking up because we need to eat and that's okay right now, um, but it is time to go back to sleep. So we just wanna be consistent with our cueing for both daytime activities and nighttime activities. Yeah, I always say you kind of get in, get in, get out, <laughs> everyone. Mm -hmm. I was like, as soon as you can kind of like go in, do that feed, or if they're, if, if they're like in a bassinet beside you, you like go do that feed, kind of get what you need to get done and then put them back to back to bed and the sooner they fall back asleep the sooner you get to go back to sleep so win-win win-win situation yes yeah um another thing that like you know when I think back a few years ago when I had my own newborn you know I would play on my phone just to stay awake and it's like I should not have done that because that made it harder for me to fall back asleep mm -hmm. and as you and I both know, <laughs> maternal mental health is um, essential those first few months mm -hmm. and making sure that that's a priority and sleep for moms is incredibly important too. So get in and get out. Yeah, totally. Um, so the other big thing that happens is that physiological change, that biological change to sleep cycles. So when babies are first born. And this, I feel like it's something we've talked about before, but when they're first born, they only have two sleep cycles. So there's mm -hmm. like active sleep and quiet sleep. Um, as adults, we have um, four stages in our sleep cycles, not just two. And around four months, which is famously known as the four month sleep regression. So really it happens anywhere between three and a half and five months, just depending on the child. Um, that is when they make that biological shift to their sleep cycles. So that's just, you know, another cool thing that happens um, in a, from a science perspective, but from the tired parent perspective, it can wreak havoc on sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is kind of, so I always like encourage, um, families with like newborns to, we kind of talked about it where you're laying down those healthy sleep foundations in the beginning. So there's like no sleep training, nothing like that. In like the beginning, early stages, you're just really kind of laying down those foundations because that way with those foundations, when that four month sleep regression, or it's actually a progression in their brain development happens that it's not such a hit to their system. And I personally have seen this because with my first, I knew I wasn't a sleep consultant. I knew nothing about sleep. I found that sleep wasn't actually really talked about. I'm also like a nurse. So I thought I kind of knew, I was like, I'm, I'm okay. I can, I can take care of a newborn, but the sleep deprivation hit me so hard. Like I, it's something that I feel like people just didn't talk about enough. And with that four month sleep regression too, like we didn't have, we didn't really have like a routine. We didn't really follow like the eat, play, sleep, like that kind of stuff with like my son, we just kind of 
winged majority of his sleep stuff. But, um, but I found that like, once he kind of hit that four month sleep regression, that is when like shortly after that is when we actually did formal sleep training. So when my second son was born, I remember, and it like, it, it broke me. Like, I remember Matias, like he wasn't able to like sleep for longer than a wake cycle, like a sleep cycle. And he would be awake and I'd be like bouncing him or nursing him. And so I just remember it just was not a good time for like my mental health, mine and my husband's relationship. So when I had Santana, like my second son, I, we established healthy sleep habits from day one. I remember like swaddling him doing like a tiny little, like lullaby even in the hospital, because I'm like, we are setting these up right now before we, before we leave. And it like, I always tell people that your kids will always go through these regressions, how it kind of hits them is very, it's very like different for each child. But one of the biggest things, the biggest change was Santana still went through that four month sleep progression, but it was way easier. I found that time because we had a routine, um, Santana had like we were establishing like the independent sleep by like having him we always prioritized like his first nap at least in his crib um we did like a tiny little routine a little nap time routine a bedtime routine we followed like age appropriate wake windows we just did things so differently the second time around and that four month sleep progression it still happened and it was he had wakeful he had like wakeful nights but it wasn't as scary or terrible as it was with my first. So I always say like some people put people ask like, when should we start a routine and when should we start doing this? The sooner, the sooner, the better. It will mm-hmm. help you in the long run for sure. Yes. Yep. It never hurts to start those, those foundational pieces as soon as your baby is in your arms. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember some of the I don't remember if it was a nurse or a doctor. Someone was like joking with me because, you know, the first time around when I had my first son, I didn't know any of that as well. But then when I went to the hospital to have my second, I brought like my portable sound machine and everything. They're like, oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, I know what I'm doing now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Round two. It's a little bit easier. Yeah. So I want to like kind of wrap up this conversation just by like reminding parents that newborn sleep, there are things you can do to help, but it still won't be linear. Mm -hmm. It's rare that any two days are going to look the same. Um, And even if you're making those, like laying those foundations a priority, you will see ups and downs with sleep because of all the development going on, you know, from their circadian rhythm, from those changes in their sleep cycles, you know, their little bodies are going through so much development physiologically that um, it, it, it's not going to be linear. So just know that you're doing what you can do. You're doing the best you can and no two days are going to look alike but if you can kind of wrap your head around that it maybe doesn't make you feel as crazy (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. moment because you know you're tired too and you just would love to be able to put them on a schedule right but that's not that's just not how it works with newborns so we're definitely looking at providing you know those 
loose routines for them that allow for a little more flexibility to make sure that they are getting the feed that they need, they are getting the sleep that they need, um, and we're promoting their overall well-being and avoiding that failure to thrive um, by not being so rigid with things. So as hard as that is for some parenting styles, some personality styles, um, it really is important. And our hope is that, you know, by providing resources like this podcast, like the newborn sleep guy that I have, like your newborn sleep program, um, we're at least giving you a starting point and helping you, um, you know, lay those foundations so that like we were talking about earlier, when those regressions hit and when your child is of the age to do a little more formal sleep training, you know, those foundational pieces are already in place. And really that will come down to your baby's temperament and personality. Like I know looking back, had I had the knowledge I do now with my first child's personality, I would not have needed to do any formal sleep training with him had I just done foundational things, but I didn't because I didn't know. Whereas with my second child, he's a little more, you know, intense. Um, I knew that even though I did work on those things with him, um, there was still going to be a need for some more formal sleep training simply because of like his personality. So I think it's really important for newborn parents, especially too, to realize that all babies are different. This might be your first one. It might be your second, third, fourth one. Um, but you're going to parent your children in different ways. And it, it's the same thing for sleep training. What works with one might not work with another. Um, mm -hmm. So laying the foundation for all kids is important. Um, but it's really just going to depend on the child as far as what else you need to do to help them with their sleep skills as they get older. Totally. Well, thank you for listening in today and make sure you check out the services and resources relating to newborns, both at the Sleeping Beauties website and Lake Country Sleep. And we'll make sure we have all of those resources linked for you in the show notes as well. We will see you next time. You made it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Coffee and Catnaps Parenting Podcast. Now make sure you join our online Facebook community called Motherhood Support Fueled by Coffee and Catnaps, where we chat all things motherhood and sleep and run live sleep coaching. And then head over to Apple Podcasts and leave our show some love. A five-star rating and an amazing review would mean the world to us and all the other tired parents out there who may benefit from also hearing our show. See you in the group!